Here comes O'Bannon, in and out, down the lane. And the foul. Rebounded inside, O'Bannon, who banks it in. Here's O'Bannon, he's been sensational. To the bucket! O'Bannon, the senior, the last time he will ever play on this court at Freedom Hall, and he flat can't miss. Welcome, welcome, guys, to another episode of the Player's Perspective Uncensored with Larry O'Bannon. I am your host. Appreciate you guys for tuning in and rocking with us. You could have been doing a lot of other things, but you took a few minutes to come through and hear us out. Really appreciative of that. Got an excellent show lined up for you guys today. Now, our guest for today is a little bit of a throwback guest. We're going to be joined by former UofL Cardinal Cornelius Holden, a.k.a. Bitcoin, a Cardinal great from the late 80s and early 90s, one of the best athletes to ever come through the program and was one of my favorite players to just watch when I was a youngster. So really looking forward to having him on the show today. Now, just a reminder, you can also catch this interview on our new YouTube page, the Player's Perspective Uncensored Podcast. Great way for you guys to see how we conduct our podcast and also just to see how we interact. Now, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is the PPU Podcast and on Instagram at the Player's Perspective Podcast. Great way for you guys to keep up with us and what we're doing. Now, our bourbon selection of the day for this episode is Bro Brothers Straight Bourbon from their independent distilleries from West Louisville. It comes in at 82 proof or 41% alcohol volume. It's a new bourbon. Hit the shelves earlier this year. It was started by three brothers from Louisville, Kentucky, and they made history by becoming the first black-owned distillery in the state of Kentucky. A great backstory behind the brand. I would definitely recommend you looking it up if you hadn't heard about it, or if you don't know about it, and find out more about it. I've been waiting to try this and review it. I'll let you guys know about it in a minute. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and bring Bitcoin into the podcast. <laughs> Cornelius Helm, Bitcoin as they call you. Welcome to the Players Perspective Uncensored Podcast, my man. It's honored to be talking to a legend. Appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day to come through and talk to us, man. It's an honor to be on here, and thanks for having me. Oh, for sure, for sure. Now, obviously, going to school in Kentucky at the University of Louisville, bourbon's a big thing in Kentucky. So have you ever got a chance to try any bourbon? If so, you know, what were some of your favorites or some of the ones that you liked? Well, well, I would say from my teammate, James Brewer, being from Bardstown, that's pretty much a lot of the discussions he used to have. But I would say as we've, as I've gotten older with some of the reunions that we've had there in Louisville, pretty much, I don't know, Jack Daniels. <laughs> Okay. But I'm okay. more of a wine drinker, but what's more, Jack? I like Jack Daniels. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Now let's let's dive into the, the the basketball part of the podcast a little bit. Who was somebody that inspired you when you were younger? Who was somebody that you looked up to that you may have wanted to imitate your game after when you were coming up as a youngster? Um, I think a lot of people don't know, but before high school, I played point guard my whole life. You know, and pretty much growing up in LA, everyone loved Magic Johnson. So I would say up until, I don't know, the 10th grade, I love Magic Johnson, but in the 10th grade, I grew like seven inches. Then all of a sudden, I started liking Dominique Wilkins more. (laughs) (laughs) I started jumping higher and I started dunking a lot more, but I really like Magic Johnson, but it grew more towards Dominique Wilkins in high school. Nice, nice. Now, you were a sensational high school player. You were one of the best players in the country coming up. 
what made you choose the University of Louisville? Um, I think growing up in California, just so much going on in California. And, um, and I had a chance to meet Coach Houston in Vegas when I was in high school, and I saw Allen Houston play. And I somewhat had a little bond right there. I felt a connection to Coach Houston. I mean, I had the Pac-12 schools recruiting me, you know, UCLA, USC, Arizona. But I think the connection that I've had with Coach Houston, that was big. And I just wanted to get out of California also. Great guy. Great guy. We yes. had him on a few episodes, a few uh, few episodes back, man. Great conversations. Great conversations. So for yeah. like, you played from 1988 to 1992. And some of the younger kids that may be listening to this may have not got a chance to watch you play or may not have seen your highlights on YouTube. What was the best way? What's the best way that you would describe your game? Um, I say the best way to I was more of I would say I was a team player. I tried to do whatever it took to win. You know, I, I was considered a small forward, power forward center. Pretty much Coach Crumb just used me in any way possible to help the team. I mean, I played a lot of center, I played a lot of power forward, and every once in a while he put me a small forward. But I would say my game was more of a smaller guy that played big. I tell you what. From what I remember when I was a youngster, man, you know, I, I think a lot of kids now, they remember like a Montrez Hurl, but you yeah. were like the Montrez Hurl before Montrez Hurl. But I would say you were more explosive than Montrez. And, and the reason I say that is Montrez, you were both great dunkers, both yeah. sensational athletes. But Montrez Hurl wasn't the shot blocker that you were. You know, Montrez yeah. Hurl is going to step in there and take a charge, but you, man, you were going to get it. Top of the backboard, if a guy didn't come in there and dunk it, it, it was getting rejected, man. So that's yeah, what yeah. I remember. I, I remember being, like you said, a, a great player, a great player that does anything for the team, but I just remember your explosive leaping ability, man, defensively, dunking the ball, anything around the basket, and that short baseline jump shot, man. That was the two, it was the things that really stuck out to me when I remember when I think back watching you when I was a youngster. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Now, you play with a lot of great athletes. You know, you play with the, the Bradford Smiths, the Everett Sullivans. By the way, you and Everett Sullivan probably set the standard for, like, box haircuts. You, you, you guys yeah. were the smoothest <laughs> box haircuts back in the day. Play with a lot of great athletes. And, you know, I could go on and, and name a list of them. Who was, beside, besides yourself, who was probably the best athlete that you played with? Wow, that's, that's a tough one because I think – our entire group of guys from, from Everett to, to LeBradford to Derwin, you know, Jerome Harmon. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We had, we had some exciting practices. Believe me, if you came to practice, I mean, it was a lot of guys getting dunked on, you know, and, the, and we, we had fun with each other, you know, but I just can't say one athlete because we were Louisville was full of great athletes. And I think that was part of the reason we were there. Yeah, and great group of guys, too. All the guys that I've got a chance to build a great relationship with during that era. Yeah, yeah. Eric Sullivan's been a great mentor to me. The Bradford Smith uh, was a great mentor for me. When I first got to U of L, really took me in the gym, kind of showed me how to play in the mid-range game. Uh, Jerome Harmon, who I see around the city. Great, great bunch of guys. Not only great players, but, but great guys at, at that. Yes. So, so when you were – going to the University of Louisville. Talk to me about some adversity that you might have faced and, and some of the adjustments that you had to make when you started playing at the collegiate level. 
Uh, I would say the toughest thing for me was, first of all, was leaving California. I wanted to get away, but once I was away, I was homesick. And and I'm pretty sure maybe a lot of people remember that I was only in Louisville maybe, I don't know, a couple of months. And my mother surprisingly passed away. I mean, I, it was, I had no idea, you know, my mother was sick in any type of way, but that was something that I came back home for a couple of weeks and I was really contemplating going back to University of Louisville. But, you know, I spoke to a lot of my friends and they just said, you know what, go enjoy college. You know, your mother's watching you from above. So, so pretty much my career at Louisville was more of, you know, plan for a lot of my friends here in California, but, you know, particularly my mother, because I knew she was looking at me from above. You know, I was only 17 years old when I went to Louisville. Yeah. But, um, but since then, hey, I made a great decision because, I mean, I, those have to be the best fans in the world right there in, you know, the city of Louisville, Kentucky. Facts, facts, facts. Now, you played for the legendary Hall of Fame coach, Denny Crum. What were some of the main principles and, and things that you took away from playing for him for four years? Oh, as you know, I mean, we, I mean, we're Coach Crum was big on fundamentals. You know, um, playing off two feet. You know, <laughs> you know, making the right decisions. You know, playing with effort. You know, pretty much playing as a team. You know, because I, I think one thing in Louisville is that you never really had big scores at that time. Mm-hmm. It was always balanced scoring. You know, we had an offense where, you know, the use of the high post offense where it was pretty much about making reads. So you had to have some type of IQ to play within that offense. You know, so we never had really big time scores. But more than anything, Coach Crum taught me how to play well with other teammates while enjoying your role. So that was big for me. Now, talk about the famous bank shot. Everybody that plays for Coach Crum always talks about his requirement if you're at the proper angle to shoot the bank shot. <laughs> oh, that's, you know, that's, that really stands out because, believe it or not, I've had a chance to sit down with Coach Wooden before he passed away, and, and Coach Crum was assistant under John Wooden. Mm-hmm. And I used to just pick his brain on that also. He just said that he just always felt it was a game of percentages where – if you were a certain position on the court, your percentage would definitely raise if you use the back. You know, would definitely raise if you use that backboard. So Coach Crum was always talking about percentages. And I think when you're younger, you don't really realize that. But as you get older, you get used to making shots and taking shots that you can make more than missing them. So when you get in that certain angle, oh, Coach Crum will definitely remind you, Hey, corn, put that ball on the glass. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So once you graduated from the University of Louisville, you went on to pursue a professional basketball career. Talk to us about your professional career uh, once you left the University of Louisville. Well, it, 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 it didn't start it off. It didn't start off as, as I expected because I, I was trying out with the Seattle Supersonics. And at that time, I, th- I thought I was going to make the team, but the doctors at that time said I had, I don't know, like a, a heart issue. And at that time, I don't know if you remember a guy called Hank Gathers. Mm. Hank Gathers had passed away because of a heart problem. So actually my first year out of college, I just sat out a year just to kind of monitor my heart to see what was going on, you know. And it, I was worried, but, but it was more of controlling my blood pressure, my eating habits and different things. And then after that, I went to play my first year in Turkey. And luckily, my first year in Turkey, I was able to play with another guy I knew from L.A. named Kahari Jackson, played at the University of New Mexico. Mm. 
And it was a great experience. I played my first two years in Turkey. And from there, I believe I went to, I mean, I played so many countries. I went from the Argentina, you know, I had a chance to play against Ginobili and, you know, Nocioni, a lot of different guys. And after right. that, I played in Spain. And then after that, I played in Brazil a few years. But I've, I've, I've made a few stops in multiple countries. But one thing I was able to do overseas was I think I was able to get back to being a guy I was like in elementary school, middle school, where I wasn't really locked into a certain position. It was more of just winning basketball games. You know, you went out there, you go out there and play. And I think a lot of people felt, okay, Corn's only a center. <laughs> right. But overseas, right. I had a career high one game of nine threes made. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was more of just getting my confidence back to do a lot of the things I was able to do before I grew seven inches. Right, right, but right. It, but it was a great experience overseas. Man, I, I, and I can relate. I got a chance to play in Argentina a few years. I played a few games in Turkey. I didn't get to play in the Turkish League. Um, I played all across Europe. And, and, man, one thing that I took away from it was it just brought my horizons to be able to learn new cultures, meet new people, you know, attempt to learn new languages, try new foods. It just puts you in a different environment to where you weren't just locked into the American way. And then it yeah. just made me that much more appreciative once I came back home. And I can only imagine for you, because when I was there, when I first started, you didn't really, you know, you had cell phones that could reach overseas, but it was super expensive. Not like now to where, you know, you can just make a phone call to China, just like you're making a phone call across the street. But, yes. you know, the Internet had just really started booming there. It was there, but, it, you know, access was limited now it's just wi-fi everywhere so how were you really able to cope back then where it really wasn't any internet it wasn't a lot of phone service man that had to be really tough i think i think the one thing that helped me out in turkey was that unlike a lot of other countries that the city of istanbul had like 12 professional teams in istanbul and yeah. the other teams were outside of istanbul so we had a good chance, let's say, you know, get a chance for lunch or dinner. I was able to meet up with a lot of other Americans. We used to just sit around and just talk basketball. Right. You know, and I, and I think back to one of my friends, Lester Neal. I know I used to have to monitor him coming over using my phone, you know. <laughs> he could pick up my phone. I said, where are you calling, Les? <laughs> and he used to try to call Chicago on my phone. <laughs> but, um, but we had a great bond, but... You know, you had a lot of Americans in one city in Istanbul, and I think that was a great start to my career because I was able to interact with multiple other Americans just in one city. Nice. Now, once you finished up playing, you pursued a career in coaching. Now, did you always know you wanted to be a coach even while you were playing or, you know, before you started playing professionally? Is it something that you knew all your life? Or what made you want to get into the coaching profession? Well, I think whenever I played pickup basketball, I mean, I always wanted to win in pickup. Right. And guys, on, and you know, because I know if you lost the game, you had a long wait. You know, it might be an hour wait, hour and a half wait. You're right. And guys on my team would always say, Corn, stop coaching me. I don't need you telling me everything. And I said, <laughs> I'm not trying to wait. So I was always on the floor trying to explain to guys what we need to do to win because I'm not trying to go there on the sideline. And the more I start figuring out different things on the court, we was able to win six or seven games in a row, let's say during the pickup game. I start trying that philosophy with little kids, you know, just, you know, I started up a little AAU program out here. I had a little program called the Jammers 
where some of those guys started at like five, you know, four or five years old. And, you know, some of those guys are in college now. So once I knew I was able to coach little kids, that's when I brought it to the high school level. And I started out at a school called Chaminade. My second year there, we won the state championship. And then after being there for six or seven years, I went to another school called Brentwood's Academy out here where we actually won two CIF championships the second year I was there, the second and third years I was there. So nice. one thing, I'm pretty sure it's yourself, the more you play basketball, I think there's a lot of things you love that the coach tell you and some things you don't like. And I always said to myself, I'm going to use 50 to 75% of the things that I learned from my previous coaches, and I'm going to put 25% in of my own coaching. You know, because I, I know how I know the different ups and downs you go through as a player. And one thing I know, I always try to make sure that my players play with confidence. Right, right. Now, what's you just said that, you know, you, you want to make sure your kids play with confidence, but what's the biggest things from your playing experience that you really pour into your kids? Well, I say for my playing experience is that no question you have to buy into the team concept because you definitely want to win games. You definitely want to win. And, and, I'm, and as you know, it's your experiences. I mean, you're going to have some good days and you're going to have some bad days when you play sports. So I just try to explain to the kids that, hey, you have to prepare a certain way. And if you prepare a certain way, I always feel that it will always show on the course. So you'll get the results if you prepare. Because I remember one thing that Coach Crum used to mention, even John Wooden said, was that, you know, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. So I'm big on getting the kids to prepare a certain way if they want to see the results. Also, another question that I have with coaching is, what is something that you get, you know, because all the kids want to start. You know, particularly at a young age, a lot of kids don't understand that, you know, it's not really who starts the game. The most important part is I want to be on the court when you when the game's on the line, when the game's finishing. You know, a lot of kids don't grasp or understand that early. So what's a, a motivational tactic that you use for the players that are on the bench to keep them motivated, even though they're not starting? What? I would say something I love doing is that I played at Crenshaw High School out here. You probably don't know even – I played for a legendary high school coach in Willie West. You know, he won eight state championships. And one thing Coach West did with, with us is that we probably played 12 deep. You know, Coach West played at least 10 guys every game. Mm -hmm. So one thing what I would always try to do with my guys is that you might not play one game, but I rarely go two games without a guy not playing. I'm going to make sure that you stay ready. And if you know that you're going to play every other game, believe me, those guys on the bench, they will stay ready because you never know when your number's going to be called. And when your number's called, either you can take those three minutes and turn it into 10 minutes, or you can go down to one minute. So <laughs> ready over there. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Bitcoin, now we reached a part of the podcast we call our Burr Proof segment, man. That's where we're going to ask you some rapid-fire questions. We don't want you to give it a lot of thought. Give us your first answer. We're going to roll with it. Okay. First question. Who is the best Who is the best trash talker that you played with? Eric Sullivan. Eric Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Well Eric, well, Eric was, he didn't talk a lot of trash, but, you know, Eric was a very confident individual out there. You know, he showed it in practice. You know, Eric's dunked on me. I've dunked on him. You know, but, no, Eric had a swag about himself that, 
that it carry over to his game. Facts. That's big facts. That's big facts. Advice that you received that was the most rewarding to you. Wow. At University of Louisville, I mean, I think it, it comes down to that question, you know, that I would say with Coach Houston, you know, Coach Houston just told me, you know, just give it, give it your best all the time. You know, you just if you give it your all in practice and everything that you do, you'll definitely be rewarded in the end. I mean, Coach Houston told me that the one year he was there because after that he had left and went to Tennessee because he got the head coach, head coaching job at Tennessee. But Coach Houston, he always told me, you know, you know, you're away from home, but you know, play your hardest, do your best, and live with the results. Right, right. Toughest person you ever had to guard? Whoa, that's a tough one. I mean, I had to guard Larry Johnson. I mean, <laughs> I had to guard Clarence Weatherspoon. But no question, it was Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, we actually beat LSU at LSU, and I had to guard Shaq most of the game. I mean, that was – I mean, I looked like an ant out there next to him, but we won the game. Ooh, I remember Clarence Shaquille Weatherspoon O'Neal, and yeah. Southern Miss too, man. Huh? I said, I remember Clarence Weatherspoon and Southern Miss too, boy. He was an animal. <laughs> Yes. And, and that rolls into the next question. Who wins, Chris Webber's Fab Five or Larry Johnson's Running Rebels? Oh, that's a tough one. But I'll say the Running Rebels. I mean, I was, that was one of the schools I was considering before I went to Louisville. But I don't know. I, I always liked Tarkanian as a coach. You know, and I and also like Larry Fisher at, at, at Michigan. But I don't know, that pressure defense that Tarkanian played with, that's, that was a tough defense to play against. I mean, yeah. the guys are after you, and they got a steal. They were down the court dunking all day. My dad, took me, my dad took me to that game, too, when they came and played in Freedom Hall, man. I remember that. Yeah, that running Rebels team is tough. Better rapper, Nas or Eminem? Oh. <laughs> wow, that's another tough one. Huh. I'm going to say I grew up a Nas fan, but I think I, I've seen Eminem out here in L.A. and I've seen him freestyle. I don't know. He's he's rare. I mean, he's different. I mean, but I like both of them. I give, I give, I can't, I can't pick them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's, have their styles. yeah that's, that's tough, man. I, I can't even sit here and say who I would go with, man. That's, that's yeah, tough. That's tough. Styles. If you had your choice of being able to dunk on one person, who would it be? Mm. Wow, that's a tough one, too. Uh, I don't know. We lost it. I remember losing to Illinois my freshman year. I think we was in the Elite Eight on the way to the Elite Eight game. I would think it was more the freshman Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> That was a memorable loss. I mean, we had a great team with Felton, Purvis, you know, Kenny Payne, Tony Kimbrough. And, I mean, I thought we were a national championship team. And, uh, but I think Nick Anderson. That was, that was, I mean, that's, that's, that's just off the top of the head. That was a tough loss for me. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is a question that we call franchise sign and wave. You got to franchise a guy that you're going to build your team around. You got to sign a guy that you're going to keep on your team. You got to wave a guy. And we're going to go know your role, role players edition. So okay. you got, your options are Tristan Thompson, P.J. Tucker, Andre Iguodala. You got to franchise a role player. You got to sign a role player. You got to wave one. Okay. P.J. Tucker, Tristan okay. Thompson, 
Andre Iguodala. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign PJ Tucker. You gonna I sign PJ Tucker? Okay. I'm gonna sign PJ Tucker because I think most people are familiar with him right now. I'm gonna. What did you say? What's the next in franchise? You say French? You gotta build your team around one franchise, either Tristan Thompson or Andre Iguodala. I'm a franchise Andre Iguodala because he's uh what a three was he three time champion or two time champion three time champion three yeah I'm gonna say a three time champion and Tristan Thompson I don't know I like Tristan Thompson so what do I do with him you tell me <laughs> I like all three I mean it's not like I'm saying anything bad about Tristan Thompson I like For sure all but somebody got to get weighed though hey I'm I'm waving Tristan Thompson <laughs> I can't I can't disagree with you I, I think I I would roll with the same thing. 2020 bubble champions will be the Lakers. Believe it or not, I want it. I mean, I mean, this is a tough one. I mean, I want it to be the Clippers, but I think it will be the Lakers. You know, because uh, I've known, I've known Paul George and Kawhi and them guys, and they were younger guys. You know, being here in LA, but I don't know if they have the experience to take out the Lakers. I mean, I think. Ultimately, I think LeBron will get the calls late. So I'm, I'm rooting for either L.A. team. I want the Clippers, but I think it'll be the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be tough. LeBron got to make them free throws late if he's going to get the calls, though. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're going to give him the calls. So yeah, gonna he got to make, <laughs> make the free throw. But the great thing about the bubble, man, is that it's a great neutralizer, man. You see Milwaukee, yeah. you know, I don't know if they just wasn't in it because, you know, the whole injustices or the whole restart up, they just didn't seem like they were themselves. But the bubble has been a neutralizer, man. With no home court, you really yes. see who the better team is. That's something that I've definitely been noticing, too. You just go out there and play and you don't get that boost from the crowd. And, you know, there's no traveling because I think a lot of time to travel affect a lot of those guys also. Yeah. But just yeah. to get it, you know, just to play every other day with no fans pushing you. Well, it just shows you a lot. It's, you definitely say you had the right word. It's a neutralizer. Right. Last question. How would you define success? Hmm. I think success is different for everyone. I think success is all about what have you done and what makes you happy? Because I think success is lies within you. You know, some people think having the most money in the world. I mean, I, I would love to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm healthy. I want to remain healthy. I think success is being happy with yourself and happy with those around you and everyone look at you in a certain way where you don't rub anyone the wrong way and you're loved by all. Bitcoin, way to close out the podcast. Man, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day to come through and talk to us, man. Wish you nothing but the best going forward in coaching. And like I said, it's been a pleasure to catch up with a legend. Truly a pleasure to have Big Cornelius stop past the podcast. Really enjoyed the conversation we had. It's a pleasure talking to him. Uh, somebody that I've never gotten a chance to meet in person, but just being able to have him on the podcast, it was great to have back and forth dialogue and just catching up, man. And, and finally being able to meet and have conversation with somebody that I really love watching the play when I was coming up as a youngster.
And now for our final review of our bourbon selection of the day for this episode, which was Bro Brother Straight Bourbon. And to start off our review, we always start off with nose in the bourbon, and it comes off pretty soft on the nose. Has some grape notes in there, picked up some oats, reminded me of some Cheerio cereal. Uh, also has some floral notes in there as well. Now to the sip, the energy was pretty low. It's not a bourbon that's going to give you a jolt when you sip it. Has a thin texture to it, but you can still feel a few oil bodies within it. Flavor-wise, has a clean taste to it. Some soft caramel, little wood, little spice notes in there. Now in transition, it had a blink of heat. It didn't last long. It was really in and out. The aftertaste gives you some lingering spice and wood flavors. Also, the floral notes sort of come back in there late last minute. But overall, a solid bourbon for a $27 price point. Probably a little young in the age, judging by the softness of the taste and notes, but one that I am proud to support and really excited about the future of the brand and the future batches to come. Now, that's our review for the day. Be sure to go subscribe, rate, leave us reviews. Go follow us on Twitter. Our handle is the PPU Podcast and on Instagram, the Players Perspective Podcast. That'll do it for this episode. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. It's truly been a pleasure. And that is the player's perspective.